Spencer's here with Money in the Bank. Shorty, what you drink? Money in the Bank. This is James Prophet. And we are joined so we here. Are... To... Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, no, after you, man. <laughs> so we are joined with our special guest, uh, the guy that helped us kick it all off, Mr. <laughs> Oh, you want me to introduce my name? I'm sorry. I did. I, I, I'm new to this show. Okay. Yeah. Hi. I'm Tim Daniel. I uh, I think I produced. Yeah, I think I produced the first episode of the Pull Apart, if I remember correctly. You definitely did. Correct. And your own podcast too, right? Too many. Too many podcasts. Right. Want to plug a few of them? Yeah. Give the content. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I do 48 Minutes Basketball Network, where we talk about all things NBA hoops. Um, getting ready for the draft and the finals. I know Josh is excited about the finals right now. So, um, Very much so. we're, uh, we're talking about that as the, as the games go on. And then, uh, I also do a Cincinnati Reds baseball podcast called late night Reds talk live that we do on Wednesday nights. And that's for all the baseball Reds geeks out there. We're, uh, we're the show for you. So I'm excited to be here talking one of my all time favorite feuds with you guys. Um, this is one of my favorite events in wrestling history. So I'm stoked to be able to do this. I think, you know, I was so obsessed to talk about it. I texted Josh and said, please have me on your show so I can talk about it. Well, that was actually great because adult scheduling be what it is. It's hard to make time. And when you said this, we're like, yeah, we got to do this. That would be so much fun. So what we're talking about tonight, the 10 year anniversary of John Cena versus CM Punk, the feud and fallout from Money in the Bank 2011. That's a badass title. <laughs> all right so um before we go into actually the uh segments and things like that just conceptually uh josh if you want to start us out what do you if you had to sum it all up in two minutes what do you remember where were you when you watched the promo the pipe bomb the show and what's your takeaway from the whole thing do that do this at the start yeah um, I actually was racking my brain to try to remember exactly, as if anybody cares, what that night exactly the promo. I remember watching it that night. I don't think I watched it live. So what I think happened was I was DVRing Raw at the time and rarely watching it live. And I think what happened is either Nick texted us or maybe it was on like some sort of social media that something was going on. Um, but it was punk related who I was, that was my favorite at the time. So I remember just rewinding it, I think, uh, that night and watching it and was just like, I, I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to wrestling sometimes and I fall for stuff. And I remember thinking that it was real. Um, or I think I texted James and was just like, is this real or something? But, uh, yeah, so I remember doing that and then. Just it was it was great. Like Tim said, it's one of my favorites um, of all time, and it's just the ultimate like you know, damn the man wrestling storyline. I can't think of a better one. Well, maybe Austin and <laughs> Mr. McMahon, but it's up there. So so yeah. But you, James. All right, all right me. So um, the pipe bomb promo, I. I remember seeing a bunch of texts. I don't remember if it was at night after I got off work or if it was, it was probably when I got off work that I saw these, but essentially I had like five or six texts on my phone that all said, all said, was that real? Was that real? Was that real? And I didn't know what it was talking about. And in 
my little circle of friends, I'm kind of known as like one of the wrestling dorks. So like, okay, I will, I read the books, that kind of crap, watch the documentary. So I was getting these questions. So I'm like, well, what are they talking about? And so I looked it up online and there's just like CM Punk, you know, cuts brutal shoot promo on raw like okay and so i had to wait till the next morning back in 2011 the next day is when it posted on youtube you know we had a slower upload rate back then i think (laughs) (laughs) Um, i caught it the next morning on youtube and just remember thinking like okay i get why i got all those texts now there's a lot of probably a lot of truth in this promo and then as far as uh, the first match goes, Punk Cena at Money in the Bank. I remember watching it at our friend Tim Roberts' house. What's up, Tim? And that being one of only twice that I remember that at a pay-per-view at Tim's, like, the room popped. Where essentially, at the end of the Punk Cena match, like, everybody cheered and there were some high fives and things like that. Um, so, yeah, right off the bat, that's my memory. Uh, Tim, what about you, man? I kind of similar thing. So I remember like I was kind of doing what Josh was doing. I was DVRing raw because I was working retail at the time. So like when I would come home, I'd be like really tired. And I got like three or four texts from my buddies like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. You've got to see this. It's so crazy. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? And then like I get on Twitter real quick and it's like CM Punk, CM Punk, CM Punk, CM Punk. And I'm like, OK, you know, I'm like, so I'll, Cool, because, you know, the Dirt Sheets did a really good job, of obviously, at the time. Punk always wanted to beat the Dirt Sheets. So, like, you you could, re- if you, like, read, the, like, the E-Wrestling News and the Lords of Pains, you knew his contract was coming up. Um, So, uh, the way that he did that promo and, like, you know, when he announced, like, the, on Raw the 20th, like, the week right after Capital Punishment, uh, when he, he gets the number one contendership, he announced his contract expiring, which was the week before the Pipe Bomb promo. Um, So, I was like, oh, wow, that was incredible. And then I was at a buddy's house as well for Money in the Bank. We all got, we'd always get together for the pay-per-views because there was no network at that time. So we'd all just pitch in for the $60 for the pay-per-view and we'd all like throw our, our share in and just like not even believing it. Like from Daniel Bryan winning Money in the Bank that night to the Christian Orton match to like just Punk and Cena just tearing the house down, man. It was one of my, one of my favorite events in wrestling history for sure. Yeah, mine too. Completely agree for all those reasons. Um, it was great. It was great. And the pipe bomb itself, you know, that that one, pro- the pipe bomb is about an 11 minute promo. It changed the direction of the WWE. Like there had been the reality or sorry, there had been the attitude era, the ruthless aggression era, uh, Federation years, they came to call it after it had passed. But this was the introduction of something that came to be called the reality era, which essentially completely went away when CM Punk went away too. Yeah. But it was all based on this shoot promo where he essentially gave so many things that you could believe he 100% felt that all of a sudden wrestling had this very exciting, like tilt your head and blink. Like, is this real? What he like, not the action if you're not a fan, but kind of go like is this real what he's talking about right now i i think this is real i think he means most of this Um, the uh the thing that's the funniest about that night uh the night of the pipe bomb promo so i don't know if you guys remember this or not but the next week was the fourth of july so they recorded two rolls the night of the pipe bomb so they had to do the next week's tv like an hour that yes yeah 
So like the crowd is still like, oh my God, can you believe it? It's like the first segment of the show when like Cena comes out and he's like, I'm going to call out Vince McMahon. He's on his way here with the jet. The crowd is still buzzing from the pipe bomb promo. So it was like, it was pretty wild. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. And that stuff is amazing too. Um, We'll get to that. Uh, Before we get going through the stuff, Josh, anything else you want to throw in? Uh, the only thing I don't know that we actually mentioned it, I could be wrong, is that it's the reason Tim mentioned doing this was it's the 10 year anniversary. Did we say that? Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been 10 years, which is kind of wild thinking about where <laughs> everything has gone, um, what seemed like a lot of progress, and then sometimes seems like not progress. So, yeah, as you said, James, I feel like it really did change change the course of, of wrestling at that point so good okay. stuff all right well we're gonna try to do as much as we can in the next hour we got some early morning so we got a hard cut off so first segment uh capital punishment punk just before his match with ray he kind of says i'm gonna have a big announcement something no one's ever done that's about it and then they go to the match punk lens good match and then the next night, Tim, you brought it up. Do you want to take it from there? Uh, yeah. So Punk starts the show with uh, announcing that he's the number one contender. He already he like sets it up. So that's I think that's the other beauty is they did this with four weeks of TV. Um, so Punk says like you know I'm going to win the WWE title at Money in the Bank in my hometown of Chicago, and they do this is that this is the era of the um, anonymous Raw general manager. If anyone remembers that terrible terrible storyline yeah Uh, so he says uh if you want to be a number one contender you have to win a triple threat match tonight against del rio mysterio which he wins and after he wins is when he grabs the microphone he tells everyone on july 17th my contract expires with world wrestling entertainment and you will not see me come back here again and i will leave with the wwe title yes and we should bring up for those of you unfamiliar with this that claim was legitimate like essentially his contract was up yeah. Uh, the stage story is that it was up the day before the pay-per-view and Vince said, went to him, said, like, we need you on the show. If you're on the show, it'll sell out for sure. And he said, well, I'm only doing the show if you put me in the main event. And so he signed a one-day extension to his contract to do this show. And, um, yeah, that's how we started. <laughs> All right. So um, I know we have le- – sorry. I know we have limited time, but I was curious, James, if you wanted to... This storyline was kind of um, a little bit of a rehash of the Ring of Honor. Yes. Do you want to give a recap of that, like a really high-level one, just because I think it's really interesting. All right. I also have a terrible memory, so... (laughs) All right, so I I can do this. Or, Tim, do you want to do it, or would you rather me do it? Either one. Uh, we We can tag team it if you prefer, James. All right, cool. Let's tag team it. Okay, so Ring of Honor, before CM Punk came to the WWE, he had been in Ring of Honor for quite a while. He'd been part of a faction, a very successful tag team. He'd gone for the belt a few times, had some per the melts, uh, five-star matches with Samoa Joe, had a pair of them. And it kind of came out like, okay, word got out. He's going 
to WWE. He's going to be in, at the time, what was, um, was it FCW at that point? Yes. No, it was OVW. It was OVW and Louisville. OVW, High Valley Wrestling, which was like their farm league. And so guys would go there, kind of learn how to, quote unquote, work the hard camera for the television shows and learn the way that WWE likes you to do things. And then if they thought you were good enough, they'd put you on like Monday Night Raw and SmackDown. And so word got out, he's going to do this. So essentially, he signs up and they put Ring of Honor, put CM Punk in a title match. And it's at this show where the year before another Ring of Honor star who everyone knew was going to go to WWE to OVW got a title shot at a show. He lost, of course, because he's leaving, put the champion over to make the champion look stronger and gave everybody a warm goodbye. And that was it. Same setup, CM Punk, everyone knows he's leaving. He gets the title shot at this exact same show one year later, goes into the ring, and then to the shock of everybody, instead of putting the champion over like it's been done a trillion times, it's like Pro Wrestling 101, the guy going out puts the top guy over. CM Punk wins. The guy going out ends up beating the champion, which was this huge jaw dropper of a moment. And then so after he wins, uh, we got, I guess, what was the original pipe bomb? And Tim, do you want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so Punk wins and everyone's chanting, please don't go at this point. And he cuts, he gets, he's a baby face at the time. And he cuts this huge promo on, um, you know, just this complete, complete quick turn. Just so well well operated i can't you know he he, he he makes his first reference to all i ever wanted was this microphone and anyone else's hands it's just a microphone and mine's a pipe bomb um and kind of takes that and like says you know like he's like i'm gonna i'm leaving with this title you know like josh said very similar uh, i think the next week on tv signed his wwe contract on the ring of honor title belt just to kind of like add to that just like total heelishness and uh you know just just freaking awesome just great stuff it was so good yeah, and so he defended the belt, I think, like three times before finally losing it at the end of the summer, which is when truly his Ring of Honor contract ended and, um, you know, then put over, I think it was Colt Cabana in his last yep. match on the way out. And yeah, then took, Cabana. Yeah, so what happened, like, before he won the title, he had left his post, I think, on MySpace that said tomorrow night or said, like, this weekend I'm going to do something that no one will ever forget. Why I bring that up is that the weekend of the pipe bomb, I he left a either Twitter or Facebook post that said the exact same thing. And I um, did not know that part. Yeah, yeah, that's a little little underground buried part. And then so the story goes that I think the way he told it, correct me if I'm wrong here, was at the end of um that episode of Raw where he <laughs> kind of announces that, okay, my contract's up. Or I guess, so he first he reveals the end of his contract. Then I think it's the next week where they do the Shawn Michaels thing, yep. right? Yeah. All right, Josh, did you get to watch the HBK segment? No, I didn't. I don't remember this at all either. All right, Tim, you want to unpack this, man? Yeah, so they're in Vegas, um, and so Michaels comes out, and he cuts his... Welcome to the show promo. This is shortly after he retired. Uh, this is the just, night of the pipe bomb. Yeah, this is the night of the pipe bomb. 
And this is after Punk has said, I'm going to win the title and leave. Punk comes out, and if you guys remember at this time, he was the leader of the new Nexus. Oh, yeah. David Otunga. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, he like he goes in the ring with David Otunga and at the time was known the name of Michael McGillicuddy, who we all now know as Curtis Axel or Joe Henning, if you're a deep diver like the three of us. Uh, yeah. Mr. And go ahead. I'm sorry. I said Mr. Perfect son for, you know, the more casual listener. Yes. The great Mr. Perfect, his son. And so Punk interrupts his promo and he's talking about how he's like, uh, he's like, I, I wasn't better than you, Sean. When you were at your prime, he's like, but you guys surpassed my Bret Hart. And that's what I'm about to do to John Cena. And they announced that Punk's going to work with Kane. He's going to wrestle Kane that night. And Michael super kicks with Tonga and McGillicuddy to end the segment um, and says, like, good luck to him and leaves. And Kane comes out and Punk and him have the match. And Punk walks out in the middle of the match. Which I thought was kind of this brilliant bit of storytelling. Like, yeah, that's kind of the whole I'm quitting. <laughs> Screw this. I'm not going to fight Kane. I'm not crazy. <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> So, um, yeah, just walks out on the match with Kane and Raw. You know, anytime they're in Las Vegas, they always do this episode called Raw Roulette, where they have a roulette wheel in the back. They'll spin it before a match, and then, like, a special match type will come up, and that's the kind of match that they wrestle. So the main event is uh, John Cena against R-Truth, the guy he had fought in the main event of the last pay-per-view, Capital Punishment. R-Truth was probably hotter as a character at that moment than he had ever been in his entire career yep (laughs) but he uh kind of came out with like a thousand great catchphrases he had a little jimmy to talk about the kind of young quote-unquote markish fans he had you're gonna get got (laughs) all kinds of good i'm a good (laughs) r-truth yeah (laughs) and so um cena is about to win and cm punk comes out if i if I recall correctly. And the distraction lets R-Truth, I think, spear Cena through a table. Is that yep. correct? Truth wins. He kind of gets out of dodge. Cena's there, crumpled up, holding his ribs. Punk had come out wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt. Because according to him, he just went for a shirt in his bag. He didn't have any of his own, but he had the Austin one he wore to the arena. And he just said, what the hell? And put it on. And um, and all I, right, John. I bought Rick, shirt just because of that promo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And yes. I mean, central rules, but when John <clears throat> did top ten favorite wrestlers episode, that was the shirt Josh had on for that night. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, full of art history. It's, it's so classic. I love that shirt. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's. I, I feel like explaining the promo is kind of just silly we can we can probably just play it in its, in its entirety john cena speared john cena while you you lay there hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be i want you to listen to me i want you to digest this because before i leave in three weeks with your wwe championship i have a lot of things i want to get off my chest I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. 
I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. I've grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that they're just that. They're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien, I'm not on Jimmy Fallon, but the fact of the matter is I should be, and trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Oh, hey, let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th, and hell, who knows, maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still gonna pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's gonna keep turning, and I understand that. 
But Vince McMahon's gonna make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing, nonsensical yes-men like John Laurinaitis, who's gonna tell him everything that he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's, it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? Do we do this whole bully camp? gist of it is essentially, you know, Punk is tired of not getting the credit he deserves. Um, he he doesn't actually have an issue with Cena. His issue is with most of everybody else. Uh, Vince and, and Triple H and um, The Rock for, for kind of stealing the limelight. Um, the thing I really love about the promo is when he turns on the fans. Uh, oh, yeah. That was what he did in the Ring of Honor one, which is is probably my favorite promo ever because I just love the idea that it's however many minutes long and he gets so over, and by the end of it, they hate him so much. Like that's just it's just crazy. <laughs> It was a year ago, it was over a year ago, I held this belt high in the air after I fought for it for the first time in Dayton, Ohio against Samoa Joe, and I proclaimed this right here, the most important belt in North America. Right now, in my hands, as of this day, 61805, this becomes the most important belt in the world! This belt in the hands of any other man is just a belt. In my hands it becomes power. Just like this microphone in the hands of any of the boys in the back is just a microphone. You put it in the hands of a dangerous man like myself and it becomes a pipe bomb. These words that I speak, spoken by anybody else but me, are simply words strung together and loosely formed into sentences. What I say, I mean, what I mean, I say, and they become anthems. You see, if I could be afforded the time to tell all of you here today a little bit of a story. It's a parable of sorts. 
There was once an old man walking home from work. He was walking in the snow, and he stumbled upon a snake frozen in the ice. And he took that snake, and he brought it home, and he took care of it. And he thawed it out, and he nursed it back to health. And as soon as that snake was well enough, it bit that old man. And as that old man lay there dying, he asked the snake, why? I took care of you. I loved you. I saved your life. And that snake looked that man right in the eye and said, you stupid old man, I'm a snake. The greatest thing the devil ever did was make you people believe he didn't exist. And you're looking at him right now. I am the devil himself. And all of you stupid, mindless people fall for it. You all believe in the same make-believe superhero that the legendary Ricky the Dragon Steamboat saw some year ago today. something exciting was happening on Raw, but, um, but yeah, he basically tells the fans that they're, you know, just a, as big of a reason that he's leaving as anybody because they just don't appreciate him and they, you know, they don't have real jobs and pester him at the airport for autographs and all that kind of classic perfect um, line, wrestling, perfect re- line. wrestling fan, low life kind of stuff. So, um, but then of course, yeah. I love it. The the it kind of ends with with him supposedly getting you know quote too real um, about Vince. He says something about the bullying campaign, which was something that was going on at the time where they were having an anti-bullying Art. campaign. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and the mic cuts off. So yeah, that's that's the whole is this real thing? Because uh, it they played it really well. I, 
I don't remember that. I'm sure that's happened before mm-hmm. on Raw, but it definitely hadn't happened to that caliber where it really did. Think. It was the end of the show. It looked like Vince was like, F this guy. I'm not letting him talk about me. And it just cut the mic. <laughs> so then he stands up and just kind of talks to the so guy in the crowd and it goes off. It's definitely got the like Bret Hart, this is bullshit moment kind of feel. If you yeah, yeah, remember, yeah. Yeah, when Bret like shoves Vince down and he just like throws that shoot on him. That's kind of what it reminded me of in that moment. Yeah, and let's go over like a yeah. lot. There were a lot of taboos that might not be as noticeable today, but back then we had been conditioned for years not to expect this stuff. So one of the reasons that it came off as real or a shoot, as we fans call it, is like, number one, he at some point he said, I'm the best wrestler in the world today. And they hadn't used the term wrestler or wrestling on this wrestling show in over a year. Like they're always WWE, WWE Vince McMahon is always on this hunt for like more mainstream acceptance. And they finally got it, you know, but I think. But back then, it was like almost a joke if you're a fan where they just stopped saying it. Like Michael Cole was a heel commentator. And so sometimes the good guy would go like, well, why don't you get in the ring, Cole? And he'd go like, I'm not entertaining tonight. And yeah, just say wrestling with this isn't a secret. This is a wrestling show like, oh, that's the secret. Mm -hmm. ABC would cover us if only they (laughs) didn't call us wrestling. So he said wrestling. He said, I'm the best wrestler in the world. He mentioned other companies, which if WWE didn't buy out a company, they would never mention their competition. Like that had never really happened, uh, except for maybe a couple times in the 90s with ECW. But he mentioned New Japan. He mentioned Ring of Honor. You know, neither of them were threats because WWE is like a Goliath to their turtle it's not even a a david you know but he mentioned other companies he mentioned wrestlers that don't wrestle (laughs) for wwe uh colt cabana he mentioned that luke gallows had gotten fired which they weren't going to bring him back you know but that was like a huh they're talking about him too okay he mentioned brock lesnar and paul Heyman, who were not part of the wwe at that point he said he'd like to think that WWE will be better when Vince McMahon is dead, which is a really harsh thing to say. Um, this is getting very, very yeah. interesting type thing. Yeah. And he like he would always bring it back to the show. Like he's saying all this, but then he, you know, kind of tie it back into like Chicago on July 11th. I'm leaving with the WWE title. And that was so it worked in the uh, concept of the story perfectly. But if you wanted to, like, I think everybody I don't think there's anybody that believes there wasn't at least part of that. That was very genuine. (laughs) Yeah, because I think like one of the things that WWE did so well was when the promo ends, they cut the mic and the show goes off air. It's like five or ten minutes later. They put this tweet out like CM Punk is currently meeting with WWE officials. He is officially suspended. Just to like to make it more like that. Is this I, really happening? Kind of thing. Wow, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, because I remember mm. like who was it? Kurt Hawkins was like, we were backstage, and we were all just sitting there. We couldn't believe it. We were like, is this actually like you know like even the rest even the workers were like, is this kayfabe or is this like 
legit. Like you, you have like when you have the wrestlers themselves on the hook, like it's you know it's just it's 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 jaw dropping. Yeah. And he uh, he talked bad about The Rock, which was very much against what they talked bad about Cena. Like okay, they've played with Cena as like the heel yeah. to hardcore fans for years. But talking bad about The Rock, which he also did, not from like a, I hate The Rock, but sort of like a, he called him Dwayne, and he said that Dwayne. he was a sycophant. Yeah. He said, like, I'm not sure if John Cena is as big of an ass kisser as Dwayne Johnson. He's a pretty big one. He always has been. Which, He's again, just, like... <laughs> you guys are breaking ahead. the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking about breaking production rules. Um yeah, and again, The Rock was kind of untouchable, you know? Like, you could talk about him in a wrestling sense, but don't say he's not, like, a cool guy, you know? That's part of his thing. Oh, The Rock's the coolest guy in school. And to kind of imply, like, uh, in real life, he's a bit of a douchebag. It's sort of like this, why are you talking about real life type thing, you know? So, or actually, he didn't say he's a douchebag. Apparently, The Rock's a really nice guy, but to imply that he would be something like, that hold on cool. yeah yeah <laughs> nothing but good reports on the rock yeah. but <laughs> so this promo came to be known as the pipe bomb and i think it was just last year the year before they did this thing on the network where it was the top 100 moments in monday night raw history cm punk's been gone since 2013 this still was like number three on the list, I think. Number three or number two. Oh, wow. Nice. It's a big deal. Do you guys think, do you think, in your guys' opinion, this is the most famous promo in wrestling history? Ooh, I actually just had this conversation with someone the other day. All right, let's hear it, man. <laughs> yeah, so that's like really perfect yes. So I think to me, it's up there. I think it's really close with Dusty Rhodes' Hard Times. Here's the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the resident fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among these in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. 
and we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly is just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm going to reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair Nature Boy let me leave you with this one way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm going to take it. I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm going to take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now because I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! I don't necessarily, you know, of course, you know, like those are the two to me that are like, are, you know, if you had to, if you talk about the most famous promos, because everyone always brings up Austin 316. I know that's a big one. Um, but those two, you know, Dusty Rhodes Hard Time and this one, I think are probably the two that you can make the case for the most famous promos of all time. I think those are great answers. Um, man, I well, we could do an episode about this. <laughs> All right, Josh, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, it, it's difficult because of I think really because of our age. Like, I have um, a cousin, uh, Bud, who's been watching. I think he's done watched everything, <laughs> all of the pay per views like ever, um, Bud, in sequential yeah. order. We gotta have Bud <laughs> and. Uh, Get his thoughts on yeah, reliving history. Well, I know, like, because he wa- basically watched when he was a kid. He's a little bit older, probably like, probably like your age, James. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, but he 72. didn't didn't watch anything after like the '90s, if if even that. And uh, so I was telling him that Punk was, you know, one of my guys, and he was like, "Ugh, I don't like him," you know, because because it's just like completely foreign to that um to the old school stuff and so i i think like like you said tim either this or hard times the austin 316 one is tough because i think a lot of people really forget um not a lot of like actual fans but just it's not known as like a promo as much as just the shirt and like the you know all of tied to just all of the Austin stuff that happened afterwards. Um, the That's pro is amazing, and I, I, I love it. That. But um, the the pipe bomb is. I mean, we're recording a show about that, not the not the Austin three sixteen <laughs> one. So you know. Well, next week isn't our episode about the promo Bret Hart saying, "Who are you to doubt El Dandy?" 
Let me tell you about who deserves a shot at the United States Heavyweight Let's hear it. I'm the champion. I ought to know. You know, I've, I've been sizing up guys since I came to the WCW. And I think the one guy that stands out the most, the guy that I think has earned a title shot, L. Dandy, I think you're a heck of a wrestler. You're a great technician in the ring, and you're a jam-up guy. Whoa. I don't see any Whoa. reason. Wait a minute. L. Dandy has been wrestling in, in, in the cruiserweight division here. Please. He's a great wrestler. He's a great wrestler, but thank goodness sakes, it's 50 pounds Who difference. are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Because this guy's a serious professional. Well, let's talk about some serious how about the, How about hypnosis? Let's get through Psychosis? Psychosis? Whatever, whatever. He's a great wrestler. You know, you can say what you want. You can try to tear these guys down and take them down. But psychosis has also he's been He's a high flyer of the highest yes, magnitude. This still, guy's still a serious cruiserweight. Let's, let's get, let's okay, get some. Okay, how about Dean Malenko? I was going to give him a title shot. He was the big man, oh. wanted to injure me. Hey, come injure me now, you little punk. He's sitting at home with some kind of hokey injury. This is a real injury, Dean Malenko. Dean this Malenko. is like groin pull the likes you've never seen in your whole life. <laughs> uh, is that the anniversary? <laughs> you know what? Maybe not. I would, I'm not up on my WCW Thunder history right now. So. <laughs> But yeah, is that even on? Is that even on Peacock, James? You know, <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> the Peacock thing to... is so frustrating. I know, like, where are the chapters, man? Come on. Yeah, where's the Josh... alumni section? Like, yeah. <laughs> Josh and I can't go back to our Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens feud again yet because they haven't uploaded the old NXT episodes yet. What? <laughs> At least last I just feel I... bad for like. All of the people that put all that work and them uploading stuff, and then now it's just like, just kidding, it's not there anymore. I did, yeah, yeah I did. I I had no idea about that because I knew like I tried to look for. Uh, so my wife and I, my wife has family members that are buried in the same. I told you guys this. They're in the same cemetery as Miss Elizabeth, and I know this is totally off topic for our conversation today. Um, so we actually found her burial and put some flowers down, and like oh. my wife, and, like so I tried to tell like my wife I was like. You know, I tried to find like stuff on Peacock, but I was like, I am not going to go through every Saturday night's main event to try to find this without because you you search Miss Elizabeth on Peacock, nothing pops up. I'm like, I'm not going through this process. Like, I'll I'll find SummerSlam '91. We can watch Match Made in Heaven, and we'll call it a day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, the only thing you need to know about Miss Elizabeth was that she was Ric Flair's before she was Randy Savage. <laughs> That's what I should show her. I should show her WrestleMania 7, yes. Oh, yeah. the uh, <laughs> What a good promo. The fact that Randy doesn't speak at all, basically, during that feud, so good. So yeah. Good. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, anyway, that was the pipe bomb. And the next week, like Tim brought up, Vince McMahon, <laughs> I can't imagine being in the live crowd just like five minutes later. <laughs> right. Vince comes out like CM Punk is not here this week. He has been suspended. <laughs> Cena's like already still sweating from the main event as he's cut, talking the opening show. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shower off, dry off, put on a different shirt. Here you go. <laughs> and so, yeah, the what happened is that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's hard, too, because they, I'm sure they knew that it was going to be well-received or whatever, but I, they probably had no idea how big of a deal it was going to be. I know. Them to just have to, you know, plan the next seg, you know, the next week's segment without, I, I don't know, I, obviously it's impossible to remember what that was like, but if you watch it in order, it's it's a little bit like, 
Did they know what happened? Last, you know, it's a huge deal, but I mean, they continue the storyline and everything, but I don't know. I don't think this, they had any idea what was really on their hands there. Yeah, and this was unfortunately kind of what ended up happening here, the Summer of Punk, as it came to be called, Summer of Punk 2, I guess. It was kind of the end of this thing WWE did for like three or four years in a row where they would do experimental feuds over the summer that were really fun. Yeah. Like uh, 2008, they did the thing where Raw didn't have a GM. And so what I think like, was that maybe when Vince McMahon got blown up in a limo or something? But it just kind of came like, okay, Raw doesn't have a GM. So like every week it'd be like Shane and Stephanie with a pre-recorded message saying, please, you know, respect what the structure of the show we've set up. We'll be watching. And then they'd go on the air and it would just be like Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. First thing you see is them like fighting in the crowd and security running all over. And then you have, and it's just like, it's not like it's planned. Like there's no introduction to the show. First thing here is like, oh, oh, God. you know, it's just chaos. And it was a blast. And then in 2009, they did that great CM Punk Jeff Hardy feud where they were talking about Jeff Hardy's real life drug problems. It was really so, good. Yeah. It was so good. And they kind of reinvented the SmackDown six there. So there was like some kind of great four star plus match every week. 2010 was the Nexus. And then 2011, the big summer angle was this CM Punk shoot promo. And then holy crap, <laughs> what is happening? So Cena comes out, says, you know, like Punk's been suspended. And um, that sucks because he is the rightful number one contender. I'm excited about this match. The fans want to see it. We need to have it. So in the storyline, because Punk has been suspended, they have already set up another number one contenders match to replace Punk at Money in the Bank for that night. And Cena says he's going to call out Vince McMahon at the end of the night. Now, this is kind of cool because this number one contender thing will pay off at the end of all this. But it's a triple threat, and Alberto Del Rio wins. One of my the, least favorite workers of all time, by the way. For so many reasons, <laughs> right? Yeah. Josh, do you remember anything about the CM Punk Vince McMahon confrontation at the end of this episode of Raw? I do not. I don't think I watched this recently, so it's been so, a while. So, it was actually the next week was the contract negotiation. No, not not the contract negotiation. The uh, CM Punk, sorry, the Vince McMahon John Cena confrontation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was, yes, that was the. Uh, I do, but I don't want to like take over your guys' show. So no, please do. Like, no, yeah, you're. For it. Yeah, you're the best, man. I'd love to hear you recap this. So, yeah, Vince comes out and he says that, like, Punk suspended and that um, more or less that, you know, the match is going to be Del Rio versus Cena. Cena comes out and says that he said some stuff you didn't like and it got under your skin. So you suspended him. And Cena was like, what if I say something you don't like? You know, Cena basically saying, like, you know, I'm your guy. And um, Vince basically says, like, he can't have the match because he can't have a Bret Hart thing happen again. And he's like, I've gone through this before. And he tells Cena he's no different than Austin and all those, you know, all the guys before him. Um, so Cena says, like, if you're not going to give me the match, he gives him the belt and leaves. And Vince is like, like, all right. If you got the top contender, this belt means nothing. 
because I want to be the best wrestler in the world. And if you're not going to let that happen, then I'll just go be the best wrestler. Kind of similar to Punk. So it's like, I'll just go fight somewhere else. Cena leaves the belt with events. He walks down the aisle. Which is like and, super perfect. Yeah. And then Tim, you want to give him like kind of the perfect exit line of this whole promo that Vince does. The Vince walks back up, gives him the belt and says, CM Punk's reinstated. You got your match. And Cena smiles and he says, take that smile off your face because if you lose, you're fired. That's the classic Vince McMahon. I can't do it because my voice is, you know, I want to be able to talk tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's and that's how Raw goes off the air is Vince McMahon telling Cena that if you lose this match, you're fired. So, you know, if you lose this match, WWE is losing their two top guys on one show. So, so super drama, super traumatic. And that's how that episode goes off the air. So you got two weeks of just like dynamite endings to Raw. And then we come back the next week. Punk is first out of the gate. He's first one on the show. Solo promo. And he kills it again. Do I have everybody's attention now? Tonight, not only am I reinstated, not only is my championship match with John Cena back on, I brought back up just in case they cut my microphone off. So a lot of you are probably wondering exactly why I'm holding a live microphone right now. I'll explain it to you. Vince McMahon desperately wants to sign me to a very long-term, very lucrative contract with World Wrestling Entertainment. It's, it's funny to me that Vince is bending over backwards to give me everything I've ever wanted. And the reason that's funny is because all I've ever really wanted is this little microphone. See, this, this is power. This voice, this is power. In anybody else's hands, this is a microphone. In my hands, it's a pipe bomb, as I showed two weeks ago. So Vince McMahon finally sees me for what I am, and that is the hottest property in this industry today. He finally sees that way because I did something that he and his endless empty suits could not do. I made WWE socially relevant. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about you people because you don't, you don't really count. I'm talking about the real world. See, in the real world, the WWE has always gotten a mention or two for two reasons. The first one being that CM Punk is speaking his mind. The second one is because somebody died. It's true, but now the WWE, because of me, is all over YouTube. I am a YouTube sensation. EC, 
ESPN is falling all over themselves to try to, to try to get me on their radio shows, to try to get me on their TV shows. Jimmy Kimmel's people are ringing my phone off the hook. They want to know exactly what I have to say. They're begging for my story. And I find it funny that I have one foot out the door and Vince McMahon finally wants to give me everything I want. Well, I know Vince McMahon and I know how he does business and he's gonna come here and he's gonna expect me to sit down in his office and have a nice little man-on-man -man conversation about a contract. But I also know he likes to do things that have never been done before. So I say tonight, Vince McMahon, we have the first ever live contract negotiation in the ring. And who knows, maybe I'll sign, maybe I won't. Maybe Vince McMahon will have to join something that I like to call the CM Punk Kiss My Ass Club. If you remember, when he comes out to cut the micro, cuts up promo, he's also carrying a bullhorn. Oh, yes. And just because he's like, if they cut this, he's like, I brought a backup. So when <laughs> Cena comes out to interrupt his promo and his music's playing, he actually does the Back to the Future thing where he's like, sir, your music is just too loud. He's like saying that through the bullhorn <laughs> while his music is playing. Just perfect. So good. He also, by the way, quoting Back to the Future there, I think this was also the promo where he gives kind of a little casual shout out to Roddy Piper, where he's talking about a couple of the things you said. Then he goes, you damn betcha, man, which is what yeah. Piper did the uh, famous Piper spit with Hogan and Andre, the setup to that one. Um, but yeah, then we get to the contract negotiation at the end of this episode. Featuring CM Punk, Vince McMahon, John Cena. This is the go-home segment to Money in the Bank. And this interview is legit, I think, 30 minutes long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's never boring. It's so, so good. good. <sighs> Josh, uh, jump in, man. What do you recall about... By the way, I, before I do that, I know we're skimming through a lot to kind of make up for time, but... I just want to say for our listeners, there is so much here that's just there's not a ton of segments going into this, but would we all agree these are so high quality every time out? Yeah, I think the beauty in this like leading up to Money in the Bank, it was four weeks of TV that they built this whole thing and just made it like the thing that mattered the most. And I know Cena and Punk go on to have the SummerSlam match and things like that afterwards, but um, and of course, they have the big feud the next year when Punk goes heel after he turns on Rock. Um, oh, yeah. But, but like just the fact that four weeks they only had, you know, literally three three weeks of TV tapings and four weeks of TV to build this, you know, build what ended up being, you know, the match of the year for 2011 and the you know the feud of the year for 2011 was pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Meltzer will minute what he gives the match but yeah there's something to be said about short feuds you know like i love it when a feud goes a long time um a couple years ago for wrestlemania that 
Rhonda, Charlotte, Becky angle that essentially went on for about, I think, nine months if you go back to the start of it. And so by the time they got to that WrestleMania match, there have been so many like subtle things done to really get there that it was really this like deep, well-earned WrestleMania main event. This one is the opposite of how like a short few can work perfectly too. You didn't have time to get lost in the weeds. It was just like headline, 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 headline. Things are peaked. Now let's have the match right at the peak of it all. It was kind of perfect. And I don't know. I I can appreciate a good short feud. I have nothing against them at all. So Josh, contract negotiation, man. What do you recall of this? Yeah, like you said, it's it's a half hour long. It's crazy to think that they're able to keep it going um, for that long. But um, the the main thing I remember about it is just Punk's kind of like smugness during it. I think he like kind of really knew what he had <laughs> going there and um, was just looked like he was just having um, so much fun with the crowd and just like being able to just kind of do what he wants. And like, I don't know, like what, what he anticipated was going to be the end of his, you know, kind of run there or before the having to re-sign or do whatever he was planning on doing, um, thinking that he was just going to be rolled off like, he had so many times before just kind of as a background character and everything and ended up getting this, this limelight. Um, do you know, James, if that was the spur of the moment thing or what they had going? I can't imagine that our truth was the, the be all end all for that. But I mean, it was funny, like our truth caught on so well as a character that if this punk thing didn't happen, if like he didn't say like, I'll only do this if I get the main event, I actually wouldn't have been surprised if they tried to drag out R-Truth for another month because he was by far the most entertaining thing on Raw at that point. And he was truly, truly incredibly entertaining. He was. His matches were just like, okay, but yeah, Tim, like, you remember this? Yeah, I remember, like, he didn't have entrance music. He would just, like, walk to the ring. He'd get, He'd grab a mic sometimes and he'd start, like, one by one yelling at like the kids in the crowd that that would be wearing like a john cena t-shirt like oh little jimmy's here for john cena how come john cena won't give me a title match like things like that yeah because i remember the night he turned heel they were in the uk and he like beat up morrison and then like literally smoked a cigarette on raw (laughs) just lit a cigarette right there i was like oh this is awesome Oh, I forgot all about that. Okay. So, yeah, Josh, I'd say I think I can see them trying to drag that out and get another month out of it. But I'm glad they didn't, <laughs> as good as that was. All right. So, I will, one thing I noticed watching this back, this promo especially, it wasn't the pipe bomb, but it was this contract negotiation that was kind of the promo that launched a thousand t-shirts. Yep. This is where he uh, specifically uses the phrase best in the world. This is where he talks about ice cream. This is where he says the voice of the voiceless, which was one for him. And then there was the Paul Heyman shirt when he came on with Punk the next year. He had a shirt that said the voice of the voice of the voiceless. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so... 
Vince, I'll push you all I want. Vince, I'll kick you in the nuts and you'll smile at me and like it and show me some respect. Because if you don't, I find the nearest paper shredder, I throw this puppy in there and Sunday, I leave with your WWE Championship. Provision number one for a superstar such as myself. First class travel is not good enough. I want my own jet. And I don't want your jet. Your jet smells. Don't try to pawn that thing off on me. I want my own jet. Number two, my face will be on everything. I want my face on the Titantron. I want my face on these turnbuckles. I want cups, posters, spoons, knives, forks, shoes, socks. I want everything with my face on it. Number one thing being, I want you to bring back the WWE ice cream bars. just made you a million dollars in ice cream sales. I have had friends, very talented friends, work for this company and be unceremoniously fired. They deserved it! They deserved yeah. it? They deserved it, why? Because you don't know what makes a superstar in 2011. You don't know what these people want. You want to punish people for actually liking professional wrestling? Guys like Colt Cabana, guys like Luke Gallows. Huh? You will apologize to me for them because they can't be here right now and they can't stand up to you and they can't let their voice be heard. I am CM Punk and I am the voice of the voiceless and you will apologize and you will like it. I apologize, you son of a bitch. Yeah, pick, come, pick it up and sign it before the stock plummets some more. Listen to them, man. They love you. And they'll love you in your hometown of Chicago. And that's the night you walk out on each and every one of them. You want to sign that? You want to cave into a terrorist? I'm not going to tell you what to do. Last week, I asked you for a match. A match that you earned and a match that you want to see. And I think that's worth standing up for. But right now, you guys are like a bunch of kids, a bunch of spoiled brats. But here you are, making a ridiculous list of demands, demands that he cannot meet. 
because all you want to do is take this and walk out. Because your strongest attribute is also your biggest flaw. You are CM Punk, you beat to your own drum, and I admire that. But in the path of doing things you want to do, you've lost sight of everything. Oh, I'll stop you right there. I'm not going to have you sit here and belittle me and say, I've lost sight. I've lost sight of things, John. The reason I say I'm going to take that and walk out is because I don't fit a certain mold. Because I am the underdog, and that's exactly what you've lost sight of. Earlier in this ring, you mentioned great wrestlers like Eddie Guerrero, and you said that they used to look at you and think that the kid couldn't hang. And now you stand here and look at me as the kid that can't hang. John, I was hanging off of your gangster car, WrestleMania 22, as it rolled down in Chicago, Illinois, and I stood there in a suit looking as ridiculous as that man looks right now in a suit, holding a phony Tommy gun, and I said to myself, someday I'm not gonna be standing out there watching you in the ring. I was gonna be standing in the ring watching you go down to CM Punk. And now here we are in your hometown of Boston. And now next week, we'll be back there in my hometown, Chicago, Illinois. And this, this is the part where I talk them into the building. See, you are the one that's lost sight. And I apologize for raising my voice because I'm not that guy. But when you stand here and tell me that I've lost sight, when you, the 10-time champion who stands for hustle, loyalty, and respect, who from Boston, Massachusetts, lives and breathes these red colors, the same colors as your beloved Red Sox, who also portray themselves as the underdog. I'm sure just like the Bruins portray themselves as the underdog, just like the Patriots think they're the underdog. Hey, how about Easy those bug. Celtics? Are they the underdogs too? Here's what you lost sight of, John, and I'm really happy that your father and your wife are sitting in the front row so they Easy. can hear it. That's the last time I'm gonna tell you, Ease What up. you've lost sight of is what you are. And what you are is what you hate. You're the 10-time WWE Champion. You're the man. Ladies and gentlemen, the champ is here. You, like the Red Sox, like Boston, are no longer the underdog. You're a dynasty. You are what you hate. You have become the New York Yankees. off because I have something to say and I'm positive that everybody here wants to hear it and everybody's sitting at home has their DVRs fired up because they want to hear it I'm glad you just punched me in the face John I'm glad it went down this way because it hit me like a bolt of lightning exactly why I no longer want to be here why I want to leave it's because I'm tired of this 
I'm tired of you. I'm just tired. So ladies and gentlemen of the WWE Universe, Vince, John, Sunday night, say goodbye to the WWE title. Say goodbye to John Cena. And say goodbye to CM Punk. I'm gonna be the best in the world somewhere else. No, you're good. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, so the starts with um, Punk does the whole like, uh, I want my own jet. I don't want your jet. Your jet stinks. Uh, I want to have CM Punk the movie. I want to bring back right. WWF, WWE ice cream bars. Um, Which can pop. Did. And yeah. the pants saying, we want ice cream. And yeah, Punk which, kind of so then he goes like, see, I just made you a million dollars. Yeah, he's telling him, he's like, you're going to apologize for my friends. You're going to apologize for this and you will like it. And when he does apologize, he's like, that was better than being the three-time world champion. <laughs> like, just yeah. a smug CM Punk thing to say. Um, very grudgingly apologizes. <laughs> yes. So then Cena comes out and he does the whole thing where he tells Cena, he's like, you've, you're like lost sight. You are who you hate to be. You're from Boston, but you are the Yankees. You are a dynasty. And that's like how like this, the, the segment ends with punk ripping up the contract before. Like, so that's the last thing you see on raw before money in the bank. And I, as far as go home segments to a show, that's one of the best ones I think they've ever done because instead of it being like this thing that, you kind of get used to in wrestling, like, oh, I really want to see these two guys fight. I want to see X happen. This was a lot different. This wasn't like you want to see something happen. This was more like, what the frick is going to happen? Because being a fan, you know, you, you're very much conditioned to, like, the way stories work, right? And so what you know going in is that it's come out that like this contract thing is legitimate. Like his contracts, that's a legitimate thing (laughs) is it's out. So you don't know, like, is he, they can't really make him lose straight up because the fans would reject that CM Punk at this point is the hottest property in the WWE. And they haven't been able to get anybody this on fire in quite a long time. So, you know, they can't just, like, bury him and make him lose. But then you think that might be their only option. You think that might be their only option. But then you've also seen John Cena just, like, beat guy after guy after guy for years that you also kind of think, well, maybe Cena will just win. And they'll just screw all the fans in Chicago. So I'll say for my part, I was super intrigued as to what would happen. I couldn't wait for Money in the Bank. Uh, Tim, what do you remember about like how you felt going into the show? I just remember like being stoked. Like I was like, this is gonna be like you know, because everything going on at that time, not just Punk and Cena. I kind of referenced it earlier. So I was a huge fan of Edge and Christian. So at the time, they were doing the thing where Christian won the title after Edge had to retire, and then Christian dropped the title, and he was chasing it and kept doing the one more match heel gimmick that him and Orton had. So I was like, okay, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a good match, because they had the stipulation that if Orton gets disqualified, Christian wins the belt. 
I was like, well, that's going to come into play somehow. You know, being a guy who followed Ring of Honor, seeing who I knew as Brian Danielson when I uh, was going to be in the Money in the Bank match, I was like, what if they let him win it? Because if you remember, he's in there with like some big time stars like Cody Rhodes and Wade Barrett, and like uh, I think Evan Bourne might have been in the Raw in that one. No, he was in the Raw one. Sorry. Oh. Where you could see like, okay, they could see these guys as future champions. Yeah, yeah. And so you're like, oh, this is going to be great. But like Punk and Cena, and you're like. You know, because at the point you're like, he, you don't, you know, there's no reports out about him signing yet. Like, did he sign the contract? What's going on? What's going to happen? Like, you finally had that moment where you were got. And, you know, like you guys said, as wrestling fans, you don't have that too much anymore. Um, so, like, just going into the match itself, you still don't know, which he later, he later said he signed this contract during the Money in the Bank pay per view. He signed it like an hour before his match. <laughs> I think he said Vince's quote was, you kind of got me over a barrel here. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's insane to think the main event, the hottest competitor of your show, only signs a contract an hour before the match. Like, he could have done anything, you know? That <laughs> Again, the real life stuff that goes along with this crazy story is super fun, too. And then they do this amazing intro package to the pay-per-view, right? Yeah, that's super um, good. everybody's attention now i was suspended by vincent k mcmahon because of some things that i said i didn't get in trouble because i announced july 17th is the day my contract comes to an end and trust me when i tell you i am leaving, I am leaving with the wwe championship i didn't just get in trouble because i said this company inside and outside the ring are with a parade of shameless ass kissers. I didn't just get in trouble because of this little nugget. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, dead, dead. I got in trouble basically because I have the balls to say things that nobody else has the balls to say. Never fear, tonight, not only am I reinstated, reinstated, you've got your match. Vince McMahon desperately wants to sign me to a very long-term, very lucrative contract with World Wrestling Entertainment. It's funny to me that Vince is bending over backwards to give me everything I've ever wanted. My face got everything. I want cups, posters, spoons, knives, forks, my own jet, CM Punk the movie. And the reason it's funny is because all I've ever really wanted is this little microphone. See, this, this is power. I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? In anybody else's hands, this is a microphone. In my hands, it's a pipe bomb. Vince, I'll kick you in the nuts and you'll smile at me and like it and show me some respect. Vince, you will apologize for suspending me. You will apologize. Apologize. You will apologize and you Sorry. Okay. Sorry. What? 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 I apologize, you son of a bitch. Fine speech. When you talk about hypocrites, Punk, you're the biggest hypocrite of them all. You are CM Punk. The hottest property in this industry today. You beat your own drum, but in the path of doing things you want to do, you've lost sight of everything. I've 
lost sight. You are the one that's lost sight. That's lost sight. I am the underdog, and what you are is what you hate. You're the 10-time WWE champion. You're the man. Ladies and gentlemen, the champ is here. The champ you, is here. like the Red Sox, are no longer the underdog. You're a dynasty. You are what you hate. You have become the New York Yankees. Uh, Josh, I'm sorry. I meant to hit you up too, man. Going into the pay-per-view, what do you remember about how you felt in anticipation of the match? Yeah, I, I remember thinking that they were going to make Punk lose. <laughs> um, I just thought that they had basically taken it as far as they could. I, I don't know. I remember still being like unsure where they were going with it, but I just thought like surely they're not going to let him win. Um, with everything going on. But then I think, obviously, money <laughs> uh, talks, and with him winning, they could really sell a lot of T-shirts. <laughs> so, uh, And they did. And they did. But, yeah, um, and, and like you said, just really just being excited for the match itself because two great wrestlers uh, and then just all the hype and everything, um, it was kind of hard to disappoint as far as the match. Um the the thing that ends up happening, um, part of it is what I thought would happen, where there'd be interference. I thought it was basically like we'll let Punk, um, you know, get screwed, which would make everybody mad at Vince and and just do that whole kind of relatively tired storyline at that point. So that was wrong. Yeah. The week going into the show, there was essentially the fun thing to do online, and I wasn't in these. I didn't frequent the like chat rooms and stuff or whatever they were where they would do this. But with this story, I went out of my way to find a couple just to see what people were saying on it. And so the big talk was this match, like, how are they going to get out of this, right? So there's all these conspiracy theories, like, okay, there's going to be uh, revisit the Montreal screw job, which is what Josh just brought up. And the other one was like, oh, well, they'll have a money in the bank cash in. And the, those were the two dominant theories. And the fun thing about those is they actually touched on both of those in the match. Yeah. Really made it fun. <laughs> For the pay-per-view itself, when you finally get here, the intro package to the show is amazing. Like Tim brought up, Daniel Bryan wins the first Money in the Bank match. So right off the bat, you're like, unexpected, cool stuff happening. Daniel Bryan at that point didn't have much of a character at all. He was just a good guy who was, everybody knew, was an excellent wrestler. And so for him to get the nod, that was sort of like the first hint. Like, change is kind of in the air, maybe. You know, like, maybe something is going to happen. Daniel Bryan just won Money in the Bank. That's huge. That's by far the biggest vote of confidence he'd got. Uh, later in the night, Christian, one of Tim's favorites, one of my favorites, he wins the world title from Randy Orton. That was amazing. 
And then you get to the main event. Uh, Del Rio, by the way, the number one contender, he wins the other Money in the Bank briefcase later that night. And then you get to the main event. And when they end the package, they go to the crowd. And kind of unusual, you know, wrestling crowds are not for being rowdy, but usually when it's main event time, there's just sort of this buzz before they start playing somebody's music. And this instance, they actually don't play anybody's music for about 20 seconds just so they can get the crowd, like all 20,000 people screaming CM Punk in unison. And his music hits, and it's like oh the mother of God. <laughs> Take it, Tim. Just... Yeah, like, so when you talk about, like, when the music hits, and you, first off, it's the last time you hear music kill switch engage music. Just, like, the freaking, like, the energy and stuff. I got, like, re-watching it, I got goosebumps. Just hearing the crowd, and, like, it's clobbering time, what you thought might be the last time, like, it was so freaking cool. Josh, what about you? Pretty much the same thing as Tim. I rewatched the match, you know, the opening for the first time in a long time, and and had the same thing. I was just like, this, this, it feels like WrestleMania. It's weird because you know, if you're not a wrestling um, 
hardcore nerd or even just forgetful like me sometimes you think oh yeah it was that SummerSlam match was their their big but like the money in the bank which i think was only the second year um maybe uh-huh. that they did an actual event as opposed to just like something from mania um <laughs> yeah it's just this kind of smaller event but just because of the timing and everything and that being this huge ordeal and it's really special so yeah the only hang-up i have about the pay-per-view is maybe the theme song maybe oh yeah <laughs> the uh, donald trump wrestlemania 23 theme <laughs> that they just started using for that show instead money 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 so bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> but yeah, okay, the punk entrance, I think I've watched it like probably 20 times on YouTube over the last 10 years or so. It I mean, Tim, you said it. It's a goosebumps moment, you know. And um there there are only a handful of like really special moments like that, right? Like Cena's return at the 2008 Rumble is yeah. one of those slamming andre um and cm punk's entrance in chicago you know it really is like this very he walks out for the first time he debuts the now famous best in the world shirt the white t-shirt with the red ringer that has the chicago flag with his taped fist in the middle of it with the x for the straight edge sign yeah, because they had a special version of it for that night. You could only get it that night. It never went on WBShop.com. And it, mm-hmm. said, it said one night only Chicago, Illinois on the back. Yeah, and yeah, the WWE.com, I don't think they even started selling that shirt until like a week later, two weeks later. And it was by popular demand, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I remember, like, when he walked out, I remember our friend Nick. What's up, Nick? Uh, he does the music episodes with us going like, that is a cool shirt, and it really was. Um, so yeah, match itself. Dave Meltzer gave it five stars. First five star match since 1997 for WWE that he gave one like that. Tim, what did you think, man? Would you also give this match five? And are there actually side topic, guys? If you guys got a sec, are there any other matches between this period? Right off the top of your head, you could think I'd give that one five stars too. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a great question. Off the top of my head, no. I remember, I'm sure I, I can think of thinking a... that I, ahead, I just remember thinking that there should have been, but I, I can't think of them now. Like all those matches that we talked about, like the um, he who not shall not be named matches and diff- different ones uh, with Sean and Triple H. I mean, there were some that probably <laughs> quote unquote deserved it. Um, but I, I I couldn't remember. I looked it up too. I was like, I don't I don't think he did because I remember he was pretty stingy there for a while for WWE matches. But it's like even even Dave <laughs> couldn't deny it. So yeah, the only other one I can think of them that should have been was probably Jericho Michaels ladder match at No Mercy for the world title because that match was unreal. Yeah. And that, Tim, I think you've told me before, that is either your favorite or one of your favorite feuds of all time, right? It is, yeah. It's definitely the Jericho-Shawn Michaels feud when Jericho changes his character from Y2J is chef's kiss of a wrestling feud. So good. Um, In regards to the match itself, like, yeah, it was definitely a five-star match. Um, 
I think just the different things you saw Cena pull like different. Like I don't know if there's going to be a wrestler ever. I know like a lot of people don't agree with me when I say this, but I do feel like John Cena is the greatest WWE superstar of all time. Strictly for the strictly for the case of no one else makes a moment a big fight feel more than he did. Like Hogan didn't, Rock didn't, Austin didn't. No one else could make a moment feel like super yeah. huge like he could. And I think that was just the thing he had above everyone else. I am so glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about this. So John Cena, to me, this was like the brilliance of how they started booking him. Um, whenever they came up with a match like this, it was never like this feud itself was not John Cena versus CM Punk. Like John Cena, the great thing about him is he became an avatar for the WWE itself, right? So it was never like it wasn't RVD versus John Cena. It was ECW versus WWE because John Cena equals WWE. This CM Punk versus John Cena wasn't Punk Cena. It was the current direction versus a change to that direction. Like CM Punk really did. Like he would say in his promos, this turn in his character represented change. And so what Cena represented here was like, no, WWE as it is versus a change in the course. Uh, he had other feuds like that with uh, Daniel Bryan. That was mm-hmm. like, you know, WWE versus the indie scene almost. Um, and there is a handful of others. You know, like the Bray Wyatt was, you know, like the past versus the future, so to speak. Um, just, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of Cena feuds like that. AJ Styles was essentially WWE versus TNA. And then with the, and the cool thing about Cena doing all this is like, he was very, very, very unselfish in all of them. Yeah. He would always do business when it was time to. Yeah. You can even go him versus Kevin Owens. It was WWE versus NXT. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. That was huge. And then even, I think some of Cena's best work was when he was the U S champ a few years back and he would do the open challenge every week. That was awesome. That was maybe the best round of his career. All right. So anyway, five stars, Josh, would you give it five? Absolutely. Um, I I was, I was going to say real fast too. just, I I think Cena really gets overlooked in this feud because it's always punk, punk, punk. Um, And he's the, you know, he's awesome, but it, it wouldn't have been nearly um, as good if it was anybody else. I mean, even even great people like Daniel Bryan or Edge or something. I mean, it just wouldn't have been the same without everything that Cena does um, in and out of the ring. So, yeah, I, I, I even think like with that promo, the famous promos, obviously all punk. But like Cena just laying there with the expression on his face like. I hate your guts, you know, like you're everything that <laughs> I'm against. And, you know, it's just he he did awesome in this feud, too. So I'm glad we're we're showing him love as well. All right. So we're we're about out of time. So let's kind of um, wrap the match here. So match is great. Goes on the first hint that something has arrived that like, OK, how are how are they going to get out of this? Vince McMahon walks down to the ring along with, for the first time we've ever seen him on screen, John Laronitis, who CM Punk had mentioned as a douchebag yes man, was the exact quote, in the pipe bomb promo. And so I think it's Michael Cole who kind of lets the audience know, like, there's John Laronitis flanking Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so CM Punk kind of sees them. And kind of like nods like, okay, I know what you're here for. 
When he turns around and Cena catches him in an STFU. And when he does that, Vince kind of turns to Larry Knight and like, starts like waving his finger like, okay, go do it. Have the bell rung. And when Larry Knight is, runs up, John Cena <laughs> slides out of the ring and decks him. And then he turns to Vince and says, like, this isn't going to end like this. Uh, Vince is kind of like stunned by what just happened there. Cena slides back into the ring. And when he does, he goes right into CM Punk, who hits him with the go to sleep. Um, I have a minor. Can we sidebar really quick? <laughs> Super quick. Yeah. The go to sleep. WWE. It kind of. I wish WWE fans had caught up, had like caught on to the ring of honor thing where they actually yell, go to sleep when the ref counts one, two, three, like they did there. So I always thought that would have been a cool thing. Never happened, but la di da. There's like so many cool spots in this match, like we've mentioned. There's the one when like the first time he gives him a, uh, they go to sleep. Cena rolls out of the ring and like you see Punk like, ro- like throw his arms, like trying to catch him. Yes. Oh, the little character stuff like that, that shows that they're really trying hard to win. I always appreciate that stuff so much. Good. Good thing there, man. What else? What else do you remember? So I think like just the, the, the psychology behind the match, if you guys remember, it was just a couple of years before Cena had that match with Batista where he broke his neck and something punked us the thing where like he jumps from the top room onto the apron and drops a knee on Cena's neck and just kind of keeps working it. And um, at one point, the, the crowd's chanting, you can't wrestle. And Punk stops the match and like points at himself and then right. points at Cena. And just like just the way that like everything worked, like the crowd, um, Ace Steel and Cole Cabana being in the front row was like uh-huh. per- just perfect. And like yep. you see like just like the way like Punk just like when like he's waiting for Cena to come out, he's just they're, like watching the ramp is so fucking good. So fucking good. Sorry, can I cuss on your guys' show? Or am I too late for that? No, you can cuss. <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right. Okay. Um, I, yeah, gosh, I'm trying to think of some other stuff. I think at some point you mentioned the Batista thing. I think they even like redo the Batista powerbomb spot. They do. Yeah. And they screw the leg and Punk kind of steps back and how Cena broke his neck, you know, storyline wise in that original match with Batista. Uh, they do that. So that's super cool. Um, one thing they do that they do in a handful of Cena matches, but I always love it. Punk goes for the uh, one thing CM Punk would do was kind of throw a tribute to other wrestlers, right? Like he would do the Randy Savage elbow with the finger pointing in the air before he jumped. Sometimes he'd wear pink and black and white like Brett Hitman Hart. And so in this match, he does a Ricky the Dragon Steamboat like high cross bodyguard from the top. And Cena did, does this thing I always love where like. He goes down, but he rolls through and then lands on his knees and is like holding the guy in a slam position and then stands on his feet, throws him up on his shoulders and then hits the AA. For whatever reason, every time he does that, I'm just like, geez, he's so freaking strong. I know. <laughs> it's very impressive looking. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so before we go to the finish, Josh, anything else, man? Well, I think like you you just said, I mean, I think the size difference in these two is perfect. Um, it really let Cena look like, uh, you know, big buff dude, and it made Punk the underdog, um, but he's still, you know, not like crazy short or anything. So 
I, I really like that um, in this matchup. I felt like it was a perfect balance there. But yeah, um, the, and also just like the, well, I guess the finish is really what I was <laughs> going to get. I, I like, I feel like the finish was done perfectly. Very, very well. Yeah. So yeah, after Cena decks Laronitis, he slides into the ring. And at this point, Punk's back on his feet. So as soon as, as soon as Cena's in the ring, he wasn't really watching Punk. Punk just lifts him up, hits the GTS. Crowd counts along, along. Crowd counts along. One, two, three. Bell rings, and they just explode. And Michael Cole does this great, like, oh my god, oh, oh my god, a kind of reaction to it. And then he has what, to me, I think was like maybe the best line of the whole feud as far as commentary goes. I think he says it like there's like about 30 seconds of silence, right? Where Punk's music is playing, they announce him, crowd's going nuts, and then Cole goes, in one hour and seven minutes, the WWE champion will no longer be a part of this company. It's like that's amazing. What a good line to hammer the so story good. home. With. <laughs> All right, and then um Aftermath, we hit the first conspiracy theory with the uh, Montreal Screwjob Revisited. Tim, what about you? Do you want to go into the money of the bank cash-in? Oh, yeah, okay, sure. So Vince at this point grabs the uh, headset from the commentators. I think it might have been Lawler. And he's like, all right, we uh, we uh, we need Del Rio out here. Get Del Rio out here to cash in. Cash it in, cash it in. Like he, gets, like, he has this like panic in his voice. It sells it so well. And so Del Rio comes running down the ramp. He slides in with a briefcase and Punk just kicks him in the head. And he, t- he, t- he takes uh, the bump. Like you can hear the crowd go like, oh, and then Punk kicks him in the head and the crowd explodes again. <laughs> yeah. Just so freaking good. And then the, that's when Punk does the thing where he like goes into the crowd, blows a kiss at Vince and then runs up the, uh, runs up the steps to leave the arena. And that's it. And the show goes off the air with him like at the top of the uh, stairway in the middle of the fans all screaming, holding up the title, kind of breathing deeply, nodding like, yeah, I did this and I'm out. And it's such a good visual to end on. But this moment that we haven't touched on yet that I think really might kind of sum up why this feud is so good is in the entrance to this Money in the Bank match. After the crowd's going crazy and all this, there's a moment where Punk just sits down, cross-legged style, the same way he had given the pipe bomb promo. And they stop playing the music. And the crowd is still screaming. And they're still chanting CM Punk to the point where it's echoing 
and the Chicago arena. With it, the 50-year legacy known as the WWE Championship. And you see this very serious, very sober guy, CM Punk, start to just tear up just a little bit. He has to kind of like sniff the snot in. He has to wipe his eye for a second. And I think what made this feud so great is that you can feel so much of it. It really is the type of thing where, I mean, Tim, you said it like goosebumps. So much of it is like, for one reason or another, goosebump inducing. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's perfect. Well, I think, too, what's kind of undersold is in Cena's entrance. He doesn't do his typical, like, running out and doing the, like, salute. He just, like, his music hits. He has his cue to enter, and he just walks down the ring. He just marches down. down. Yeah. Yeah. No salute to Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. And they have the great revisit of the RVD sign where it said, if Cena wins, we riot. There's a massive sign that says, if Punk loses, we riot. There was one a few years later I really liked. I, I think that. it was at a it was at a mania and it was like if Cena wins we complain online. Yes. That was good. <laughs> All right, Josh, uh before we wrap up and everybody thank you for visiting us for this sort of brief history of the uh, feud through the money in the bank. Dude, Josh, overall money in the bank, the match itself, the feud, everything. Give some uh what are your final thoughts on all this? Or is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I don't think so. I, I just the ending is just the best. I, I love what you had already said about the them kind of giving a nod to what the fans thought would happen. Um and just basically just making it um not just like giving the fans what they want, but giving the fans what they want in like a such a really well done way. The the end of him walking out through the crowd is it's like icing on the cake like if he had just won and like held the belt up it would have been like ah that's amazing like punk won but him still being like kind of just a anti-hero and walking through the crowd and and them going bonkers in chicago i mean you couldn't couldn't have done it better so yeah like with plus five stars Completely agree with all like these nods he had done through his history of being like this wrestling fan growing up for him to have that moment surrounded by wrestling fans, which I think is one of the things that made people relate to him so much. It really was this very cool, touching moment. Uh, Tim, you want to sum up with anything before we go? Um, I think the last thing is I think this is uh, I think this is really kind of the best feud of the 2010 era uh, that that, you know, that decade. And I know that, you know, we, we will, it's very extremely likely CM Punk never works a wrestling match again. And that sucks uh, because I feel like, you know, especially like if you look at, you know, he goes on to have the match with Taker 
when he comes back and he does that face run, it's like when he's like, the era he talks about how he was just burnt out and didn't want to wrestle anymore. His work's still super good. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's 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 fun too because I think it's WWE 2K15 has the uh, rivals mode and you can play through this again, like the like, classic moments of, like the video games, like the, the video game through the storyline. Um, so it's it's fun to relive and it's definitely something worth watching. If you know, if you get like you get like us where you just reminisce about old wrestling things, this is this is the feud of the 2010 2010s to watch. Nice, yeah, and man, the thing is, as good as this Money in the Bank match is, I would say the match at Night of Champions the next year is like right. It's in the same conversation. And the match on Monday Night Raw in February of 2013, I actually like even just a little bit better. I know. So yeah, these guys, all they could do it seemed like was have five-star matches. <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us for the pulling part. Um, Tim, dude, our guest, thank you so much for doing this with us, man. This was a blast. Yeah, thank, thank you guys you. so much for having me. All right, so we're out, but Josh, more than even Punk Cena, what are the three things you can count on in life? Death. Taxes. And Randy Savage. All right, thanks, everybody. (laughs) All right, thanks so much, guys. That was a blast. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah, that would be on. Tim, would you want to join us again? Anytime, anytime. Let me know. All right, cool. Thank you. We'll talk about how uh, this wasn't the best feud of the 2010s. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Josh, I was trying to remember who we gave it to in our decade awards. (laughs)